This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of two Viking best buds who set sail on the greatest Viking ship of all, friendship. The creature this week is just letting off some steam right in your face, like really hot steam right in your face if you don't leave it alone. This is Myths and Legends, episode 197, VFFs. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is very loosely connected to one we told pretty recently. Back in episode 191, we met King Gotti, remember the underwear guy who pretty much accidentally destroyed a family's whole life when he ate a big dinner, and then they all jumped off a cliff? Well, anyway, he had a son, and not the son that we mentioned in the story, but another son, Hring, not related to any of the other Hrings we've mentioned on this podcast. Because of his father's conquests, he grew up and found himself as the king of East Jotland, a region in modern-day Sweden. Hring had two sons. One, Herod, was his boring, actual, legal heir with his queen, blah. And he had another son, Purse. He was a kid that Hring had fathered in his youth, with a girl that had been his true soulmate, the love of his life. A story his queen and wife just loved every time she heard it. The woman died, but the son, Purse, grew tall and strong. Literally everyone hated Purse, except for the king. So, of course, that meant Purse had expansive, almost complete power over the entire kingdom. We're told that this is the origin of the money bag word purse, because Purse the son had control over all the money. I think I need to actually start the story instead of just doing an extended introduction, so we'll jump right in with a family that lives nearby. Princess Brynhild, but not that Brynhild, rose from bed. She had just relearned how to walk. So, big week for her. Just a few months back, Vikings had come to her father's kingdom. And the men fled, but she didn't. She stood, facing down a horde of berserkers. They didn't stand a chance. Dozens dead, and the kingdom still defended. Their leader swaggered forward. And the men parted. Thvari, the Viking leader, looked at the woman that stopped them from advancing into the land, grinned, and attacked. It had been a hard battle, but Thvari had won, leaving Brynhild wounded and dying on the battlefield. Or so she thought. She woke up in her father's home, in immense pain, while the doctors worked on her. Months later, she rose. They told her she would remain bent and twisted for the rest of her life. So it took her a little while to make it to her father's longhouse. When she threw open the door, she saw her father sitting there, talking to him. Thvari, the Viking leader, the one who had done this to her. Her father threw up his hands. He can explain the man, they didn't have any other choice. And he paid for Brynhild's treatment. But Brynhild couldn't be stopped. She went straight for the foreign leader and kissed him. Brynhild's father was confused, Thavari kissed her back, and the couple just started full-on making out there on the bench. Brynhild's father shook his head. <sighs> These times are so weird. Brynhild, super into the man who could best her in battle, married Thavari, 
despite him leaving her with a permanent limp and stoop. And no joke, they were very happy together. They had two sons when Thavari retired from Viking life. The elder, Smid, wasn't very big, but he was super good-looking, talented, and good with his hands. His brother, Bossy, B-O-S-I, was tall, strong, but not particularly good-looking. That being said, he never flinched at anything, and whatever he started, he would see through. His mother, who had taken on the name Stunt Brynhild after her brutal defeat-slash-courtship, loved Bossy. As was apparently cool with Brynhild, Thavari had a strikingly old concubine. I don't know the details behind the arrangement, but the woman also served as a foster mother for Brynhild's two sons. Oh yeah, and she was a witch. She knew the fabled satyr magic. And she taught the boys. Well, okay, she taught Smid. He was a quick study and eager to learn. She tried to teach Bossy, but the kid wanted none of that. He was a warrior class, and if he couldn't beat his enemies with his strength, he couldn't beat his enemies. Now, his friend was outside, and he wanted to play. The witch rolled her eyes. Ugh, whatever. She went back to her lesson with Smid. Outside, Herod, the young prince, was waiting for Bossy. The ball game was about to start, and they would be late. The boys had grown up as unlikely friends, and neither of them had any way of knowing that today was the day that their childhood would end, because at the end of the game, Herod would be helping Bossy leave the country after Bossy was declared an outlaw. You see, boys play a little rough. As it happens, Bossy and Herod were playing in a ball game with some other guys, and yeah, Bossy hit a boy and dislocated his arm. It happens, people get hurt. Even for Vikings, though, this game got intense. When Bossy hit a guy in the head with a ball and his eye popped out. For some reason, they kept playing, because Bossy got into another fight and threw another guy to the ground, breaking his neck. Because this is a Viking ball game, everyone's weapons were very close at hand, and Herod was able to get everyone to pause long enough for Bossy to escape immediate danger. Purse, Herod's older half-brother, sneered. Of course, with Bossy in the wind, and his ex-Viking dad, and even scarier mom, saying that any boys playing ball obviously knew what they were getting into, up to and including losing an eye and having their neck broken, King Hring was on the hook for paying for the treatment of the three boys. The animosity between Herod and his father grew. I mean, his best friend only maimed three guys at a ball game. Who hasn't done that? This was so unfair. Regardless, Herod said that there was nothing left for him in Sweden. He wanted to go raiding abroad. Purse was the obvious favorite, and he would probably be heir too. His father agreed. Yeah, they weren't getting along. Much to Purse's astonishment, the father wanted to give his son a fighting chance. An actual fighting chance, so he could fight and kill a bunch of people and plunder and all that. So he gave the kid five ships and enough men to fill them. Herod went on his way, and Purse and King Hring couldn't have been happier to see him go. Can I get a ride? The voice yelled from the cliff. Yeah, but I'm not stopping. Herod yelled up to the figure, which was just a silhouette against the setting sun. Cool, I'll be right down, the stranger answered. And Herod got back to work, getting his ships ready to leave port. The Vikings, who weren't scared by much, yelled when the man on the cliff jumped, 
caught the mast, swung around it like Mario, then flung himself up, absolutely sticking the landing. Amid the claps and the Vikings holding up cards that read 10, 10, and 8.9, Herod's jaw dropped. The surprisingly agile stranger was bossy. His exiled best bud had been following the word of his exploits and had guessed correctly where he would end up next. The two young men embraced, and together the two boys spent the next five years traveling from country to country, murdering, pillaging, robbing to their heart's content. It was magical. While the boys were out on their grand, murdery adventure, Purse was on a less fun adventure, balancing his dad's books. In his push to get the kid out of the kingdom, and because Purse knew all of the accounting, King Ring thought he had way more money than he actually did, and he inadvertently bankrupted the kingdom when sending his son out. Because they wouldn't see a return on that investment for years, it was Purse's responsibility to make sure the coffers were full again. So that's what brought him to Bossy's dad's house. Davari was smart with his money, and his biggest liability had been exiled, so he had plenty when Purse came with an armed force to take the chests of gold he had. Purse blamed Bossy for both the injuries and death that the throne had to compensate and for Herod leaving. So he was taking Thavari's cash. And if Thavari had a problem with it, well, Purse's associates, the ones with the axes, were happy to make sure Thavari had no more issues with it before they left. Because they would kill you. That's, that's the subtext of that statement. The old Viking pursed his lips. Now, yeah, I, I got it. And... Subtext is no longer subtext if you just come out and say it. If you're going to use the apparatus of the state to rob a grizzled Viking veteran with an outlaw son and an even scarier wife, maybe make sure that you don't have the same layover as said Viking outlaw son. Years later, at the end of Bossy and Herod's journey around the world, Bossy and Purse met when storms blew Bossy's ship off course and forced them into the same inn for the night. Bossy, backed up by dozens of angry Vikings, confronted Purse about robbing his father. Purse, backed up by a few merchants who were all checking their phones and remembering that they had somewhere else they needed to be, said that it was better than his father deserved. Right, guys? He turned to the door flapping, his men choosing the storm over Bossy's Vikings. Bossy grinned. Seems Purse's mouth was running up debts that Purse couldn't pay for. Get it? Because his name is Purse? Ah, whatever, just kill him. Bossy and his men did let Purse's crew live, mainly because they were magnanimous, but also mainly because they wanted to take the ship and everything in it. Which they did. When the weather was permitting, Bossy sailed to the next port to catch up with Herod, saying good news and bad news. Bad news, I killed your half-brother. Good news, I killed your half-brother. Herod pursed his lips. Yeah, I mean, he never liked the guy, so this wasn't exactly a blow to him. But it would make going home difficult, because he was his dad's favorite. Still, Herod would go first, smooth things over. It would all be good. It's not all good. My son is dead. King Hring screamed a few months later. Yeah, I get that. But as a counterpoint, he was the worst and the world is better off without him, Herod said. Those words of consolation 
not exactly having their intended effect. Hring said that Bossy would hang for this, and if Herod stood in the way of justice, he would swing too, on gallows higher than any thief had ever been hanged. Herod said that the height of the gallows didn't have any impact on the actual punishment, right? Anyway, regardless, Bossy and his friend were closer than a brother, as this situation very clearly highlighted. He would defend Bossy with his own life, for as long as his courage lasted, until his dying day. Herod turned from his father and made his way back to his ships. It was time to prepare for war. Wow, that was a short war, Bossy said, bloody, and chained up next to Herod in the dungeon. It was a short war, even though they were able to find some malcontents who were angry with how Perse used to squeeze them for cash, Herod and Bossy couldn't find enough, quickly enough, for it to make any difference whatsoever. They killed a good number of his father's men, but their short-lived civil war ended with them being taken captive. And now, they were to be executed the following morning. It seemed like nothing could save the two young men. Then, which poetry? Remember, Bossy's foster mom and his father's elderly concubine still don't know what's up with that. Well, she was a witch. Her name was Busla, by the way. I don't think we mentioned that before. Thavari asked if there was nothing she could do. Bossy was going to be executed in the morning. So, yeah, she teleported to the king's bedroom and dropped some improvised slam poetry. It's said that the poem has become famous everywhere despite its many wicked words unfit for Christian mouths. I quoted it on the post on mythpodcast.com in case you want to read the profane poem for yourself. Basically, it's an extended rhyming threat in verse, which is probably the classiest way to threaten someone, where Busla said that if he went through with this, she would have poison snakes gnaw on his heart, make him go deaf, blind, all of his riggings for his sails would snap, his horse would go lame, and his bed would be like sleeping on burning straw. To which the king replied, quote, Shut your mouth, you filthy witch, and threatened her. Not in rhymes or verse. Like, is he even trying? And he said he'd have her tortured if she didn't leave. She shook her head. Nope. So he rose to throw her out himself, but found that he couldn't stand. He yelled for his servants, but they couldn't be roused from sleep. She shrugged. All right then, let's do this. If the last spell wasn't fit for Christian mouths, this next one can't even be read. The writer was wary of putting it down on paper, though they did include the third spell, which holds the most powerful magic, that no one is allowed to say after sundown, and part of it is in runes, so at the risk of inadvertently awakening Jormagander and triggering Ragnarok, though 2020 doesn't need my help with that, I posted that on the website as well. Enjoy. I couldn't solve the riddle but it freaked King Hring out enough that he was in tears before the witch, begging her, please, tell him what to do. She smiled. A vulture's egg, Bossy asked, rubbing his wrists after being set free from the dungeon. You want me to go on a dangerous quest to bring you a vulture's egg. We have those here, right? A vulture's egg with gold writing all over, the king boomed. Bossy was to bring one of those back. If he didn't, 
he could still come back, but everyone would be allowed to call him a coward. He grimaced. A fate worse than outlawry. He would do it. No, Herod said, putting his hand on his friend's shoulder. We will do it. The king, again, did not care. Herod was free to go, and after sparking a civil war, it would actually be nice if he got as far away as possible. So they did. With what little money he could scrape together, after Perse sacked his 401k, Thavari built his son, and the man he considered a foster son, a ship, and hired 24 warriors to go along with them, to the Baltics, so they could get a vulture egg with gold writing. The men left the following spring. Despite 24 guys being on the payroll, they must not have been needed, because as soon as Bossy and Herod made it to the Baltics, they parked the boat and told their employees to stay there, and if they didn't come back in a month, they were probably dead. And so they set off on foot, with only a general idea about the vulture egg, so they trucked on. And by the end of the week, as the sun was starting to set, they saw a homestead glowing on the horizon. The farmer saw two strangers in the field and waved to them, welcoming the men. Then the young men saw her. Wait, seriously? Herod said as the farmer sat them down at the dinner table, hastily putting two more settings down. We're doing the farmer's daughter a bit. Come on, how old is this whole trope? Uh, what's today's date? Bossy said as he resumed playing footsie with the farmer's daughter underneath the table. Seriously, though, I think this is the first time it appears in world literature. Oh my gosh, Herod facepalmed. You're going to get both of us killed. Bossy actually didn't. And for the first time that a weary traveler broke a farmer's one rule and made a move on his beautiful daughter, it actually worked out pretty well for all involved. And we know because it's detailed in just the most obvious innuendo. If you want to read, I've linked directly to it on Google Books. But yeah, you know exactly what's going on when, that night after dinner, and with everyone in bed, Bossy slipped into the farmer's daughter's bed that night and wants to help his tempered warrior soften. That's as far as I'm going to go. Neither of them really caring about mixed metaphors, they spent some time together. And it's good that Bossy got on her good side, because she actually knew a lot about their quest. When they were laying there, she dropped some exposition on Bossy. Not far from the house, in this very forest, there was a great temple belonging to King Herrick. His mother, Cole Frosta, was in charge of it. She was a witch, of course. With her sorcery, she recently discovered that she wouldn't live out the month, so she was planning ahead with magical kidnapping, probably the worst type of planning ahead. Basically, the god of the temple needs a priestess after she's gone. And so she went to Jotunheim, the land of the giants, to the glacier plains, to kidnap a princess to take her place. Rescuing her and getting the egg will prove pretty difficult. Because, yeah, a vulture lives there, watching the door like an evil Disney witch sidekick. It can kill anyone with its venomous claws if they try to go after the queen. At every meal, the priestess queen mother eats a two-year-old heifer whole, but this is only after an enchanted demonic bull mounts the heifer and poisons her flesh so that anyone else who tastes it will go crazy. Bossy shuddered. Wow, that story took a turn. The farmer's daughter continued. The priestess is going to force-feed the princess the poisoned heifer so that the poison will change her to a perpetual princess-priestess prisoner. Bossy laid back, 
impressed by her knowledge of current events and alliteration. And the story, again, informs us that they spent some more time together before Bossy returned to his own bed. The slave looped the rope over a stake, securing the pen. He hated his job. It was so fun to raise up all these calves, taking care of them, keeping them healthy, only to have them mounted and poisoned by a demonic bull three times a day so the queen could eat them whole and alive while he had to watch. He had been captured in the war, the war that took his father, mother, and sister. He was all that remained of his family. And at first, things had been horrible, but it was manageable. He had a roof over his head, meals. And even though he didn't have a choice, he was doing something he was good at, taking care of the animals. Unfortunately, he was too good at it. The queen came looking for a new servant in her temple, and the slave was sent along with her, wondering how much worse it could actually be. Now, he would give anything to be free, and for someone to rid the land of the evil queen mother. She already read her own fate. She knew the end was coming. Then, the slave heard noises on the road behind him. The heifer mooed, and he spun around. Two hero types were walking on the road. Maybe, just maybe, they were the ones who were going to free this land and kill the evil queen mother. He bowed and lowered his head in reverence. Bossy, club in hand, walked up to the slave. Bop, he said, and cracked the slave on the head with his club, killing him instantly. Did you just say bop when you hit him on the head? Herod asked. Bossy shook his head. No, no, don't think so. Pretty sure you did. And are you sure this is the guy? He looked like he was bowing to you, Herod said, watching the growing pool of blood fill the road. Uh, it's not like he had some complicated, tragic backstory. The guy was an evil henchman of a witch queen. Doesn't get more justified than that. All right, get him up, though. We need his clothes, Bossy demanded. While Herod picked up the body of the slave to keep his tunic from getting covered in blood, Bossy walked up to the heifer. Hey, girl, sorry about this, but honestly, it's probably better than you were going to get in the castle, he said, and then raised his club. Bop. There it is again. Have you always done that? Herod said. Bossy pulled out his knife to start skinning the heifer. He didn't know what the prince was talking about. Now get that guy's clothes off while I skin this cow. Herod, sensing that Bossy had something resembling a plan, complied. He did have a plan, and it included switching clothes with the slave while turning the body of the man into something of a kebab with a spear, spearing him through the backside, up through his shoulder. Herod put on the slave's clothes while Bossy skinned the heifer, filling the skin with heather and moss putting it on wheels. Bossy explained the plan to his prince, and the two men split up. Bossy watched Herod make his way into the temple, past the guard, who couldn't possibly have cared less because he let the man through. Bossy counted to ten, then rose from the bushes. He looked at the corpse hanging off the spear slung over his shoulder. Hmm, yeah, that might be suspicious. 
Who are you? The guard asked. I've never seen you here before. Bossy looked around him. Oh, me? He was with the the guy who just came through here. Oh, Bjorn? Yeah, Bjorn, Bossy said, nodding. He loved doing evil with that guy, just being a henchman for the witch queen. Good stuff. The guard narrowed his eyes. Bjorn was a good guy. He hated the queen. He was a slave pressed into service. They all were. Also, what's all this? Bossy looked over his shoulder to the corpse dangling off a spear hastily covered with a blanket. Uh, breadsticks? Breadsticks. Yeah, uh, unlimited breadsticks for the queen. Duh, Bossy said with an eye roll. That's a human hand dangling there, the guard replied. I'm gonna have to call this in. Oh, come on. You let Herod through with a cow on wheels, but now you're giving me a hard time? Then Bossy stopped. Oh. The guard gasped. Who's Herod? Cow on wheels? He didn't have time to do much more than yell before the spear butt hit him in the face. Boring conversation anyway, Bossy said to himself. Herod, we're gonna have company. His words of warning, though, were met with panicked, shrieking bellows from the throne room. Bossy ran to the aid of his prince and friend. The slave, being such a common fixture in the comings and goings of the temple, didn't raise suspicion, even though he was wheeling a stuffed cow. He walked right into the throne room, where the queen was just napping, and the demonic bull was waiting for his special friend. He was a demonic bull, but he wasn't a smart demonic bull. Herod rolled the cow in front of him, told those two crazy kids to have fun, and waited. He didn't have to wait long until the first phase of Bossy's plan was complete. The bull mounted the cow, and what was essentially just a hastily constructed stuffed animal collapsed. The bull fell to the floor, smacking his bull nose, shattering his bull teeth, and breaking his horns. The resulting sound was what Bossy heard in the courtyard. Bossy rushed to the throne room to find the bull bleeding, the witch waking up, and the giant vulture who lived in the rafters taking flight. The two young men looked at each other, nodded. Time to get to it, Viking style. Herod leapt to the demonic bull who was still stunned and, grabbing what was left of his horns, twisted and broke its neck, killing it instantly. There was a reason Bossy had kebobbed the slave, because the vulture might be vicious, but it wasn't terribly perceptive, especially in a dark room. It dove down at the first human it saw, and when its claws sank deep into the body of the slave, Bossy drove the spear up and threw the bird's neck. The vulture screeched. It was going down. The witch rose, a darkness growing all around her, her eyes glowing red. Her hands were twisting into claws, almost like talons. Still, Herod smirked. Bossy had gotten them this far. It was two versus one now. His plan had worked flawlessly. Let's go, buddy. Bossy? Herod turned and found Bossy unconscious under a dying vulture because, yeah, when you kill things that are flying above you, they fall on you. A wing caught his forehead and he went down. Oh, 
come on, Herod spat. Herod drew a sword, but with the witch's magic, it flew from his hand. He unhooked his axe, but it became too hot to hold. He rushed back to Bossy, kicking his partner, telling him to wake up. Then, the witch caught him. He fought her, but her claws slashed at his chest, cutting through the mail he was wearing and slicing him to the bone. He screamed out and slipped. They both went down in the vulture blood, and it wasn't long before Herod was on the ground. She was small, the witch, but it was like she was made of iron. And even though he fought, her fingers still found his neck. She squeezed, and after a minute or two, the room started to darken on the edges. Herod knew that this was it. Then, a scream, a crash, and it was all over. As the darkness retreated, Herod found himself looking in Bossy's face as the man was waking him up. He said it was going to be okay. He himself woke up in time and he used that classic witch weakness of hitting them really hard with a demonic bullhead. Herod rubbed his bruised neck. He was pretty sure that wasn't a thing. Bossy shrugged. Well, the dead witch next to the demonic bullhead, that seemed to indicate otherwise. They spent the next day in the temple. The slaves, no longer terrified of the witch who had pressed them into service, just threw down their spears and took off, while Bossy and Herod looted the place. It would have taken all of about an hour, but they chanced on a stone door that seemed to be sealed with a magical lock. The next 23 hours were spent hammering away at the door until almost nothing remained of it. When Herod brushed the rocks aside, he gasped. There, tied to a chair, was the princess that the priestess had captured. She shirked back in fear. No, 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 if the witch knew they were here, she or the vulture would do terrible things to them. They had to go, leave her, or else they would fall under the power of the demons of this place. Well, do I have news for you, Bossy started. But Herod elbowed him. And, uh, would you be good? To the man who helped you escape from here? Herod asked. Bossy cocked his head and then grimaced. Ah, oh, buddy, no, 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 you're better than this. But Herod shushed him. The princess said that she didn't think anyone could get her out of here. Herod said, okay, but, you know, if someone could, would she, I don't know, marry him? Buddy, Bossy said. The princess pursed her lips. She didn't think any man was so loathsome that she would rather be left in this temple. Not even one who dangled freedom over her head in exchange for marriage. Seriously, Bossy interjected. Herod rolled his eyes and sighed. Ah, all right, cards on the table. We already killed the witch, vulture, and the bull. You're good, I just felt like... I did something nice for you, so I should get something in return. Bossy grimaced. A lot of stuff was coming out about his friend in this conversation. Still, I'll let you be free no matter what you decide, Herod said, and went to untie the ropes. When he did, the princess turned and kissed the prince. She said that yes, she would marry him. Personally, I have no idea why. Bossy rolled his eyes. 
he was the one who actually killed the witch, but no, no, no. Go with the man who just tried to nice guy you into marriage. They found the gold-inscribed vulture's egg, and the trio carried as much gold as they could free from the temple before burning it to the ground so that the evil that lived there would never rise again. On the way back, they passed by the farmer's house. It gave them a good chunk of the treasure that they were tired of carrying before meeting up with their boats, exactly 29 days after they left. They loaded up the gold, took to the sea, and headed towards home. Yeah, sorry, it's cracked, Herod said as he handed the egg to King Ring, completing the quest. The king said that that was completely cool. Just a piece of this thing is worth as much as his kingdom. So, of course, he was going to make a mug with it. A mug, Herod asked his dad. The man nodded as he carefully chipped the top off the egg. Oh yeah, how intimidating would it be to have someone over for coffee and you're like, oh, no big deal. I'm just sipping out of a priceless golden-crusted egg that used to belong to a poisonous vulture. Then the king paused. Ew, what's that? The four of them peered into the egg. Huh, yeah, that's gross. It was something between a snail and a snake, lying motionless in the egg. Bossy grabbed some leather and pinched the little thing, tossing it out the window. Eh, there you go, problem solved. King Ring nodded. Perfect. Now someone wash this egg so I can drink out of it, since we're in the Middle Ages, and known for our excellent understanding and use of sanitation techniques. To Hring's credit, he wouldn't be killed by the residue of whatever was left in the egg, because he wouldn't live long enough. You see, he and Herod were reconciled, and Bossy's charges were cleared, and the young men were sent away to fight in a war on their father's behalf. The war is supposedly the biggest one to ever take place in Scandinavia and the saga name drops a few kings and so on, but we're not really interested in that. We're interested in what happened back home. You see, after the princess, Clyde, was kidnapped by the witch, her family went looking for her. It was a long search because, as I said, they were giants from Jotunheim. But eventually, they found the temple, the one that had been burned to the ground, and they worked their way to the farmer's house where he had piles of gold and a daughter who knew the names of the men. So the ship set sail for Sweden. Um, I know we already did this this episode, but good news and bad news, King Ring's servant said. And yes, he had seen the mug. It's very nice, sir. Anyway, the good news is that Princess Hyde's family is here. They've been looking literally all over the world for her. Bad news was that they're giants from Jotunheim, and they think that King Ring took her. King Ring stood finished his drink, and said that he would go have a word with these people. The servant cautioned him. These guys are big and probably magic. It's going to require a bit of tact and finesse, so that this doesn't devolve into an all-out war with raiders from another world. Ring smirked. Please. He was the king. He's got this. Uh, my son took your daughter fair and square, and she's going to be married to him whether she likes it or not the king yelled, as an opener, not mentioning that she did actually like it. She wanted to marry him, and he rescued her. The brother giants looked at each other, shrugged, and brought their clubs down, turning King Hring into something between the consistency of a thick paste and a meaty stew. All right, 
Let's go get Clyde. What happened here? Herod and Bossy returned a fortnight later to the still smoldering remains of their home. Tavari, remember him, the Viking guy from the top of the episode, said yeah, he saw the whole thing. Giants from Jotunheim came and trashed the place. He didn't care to get involved. Could be because he was too old. Could be because the king's treasurer had taxed him, and only him, into abject poverty, and he could now cook his dinner on the embers that were Hring's kingdom. Who's to say? Regardless, he could see his son was serious about getting the princess back. So if they wanted to help her, I guess, escape her own family, they didn't have time to put together an army. They had to move quickly and decisively. His father told him the name of an assassin who lived on their way to Jotunheim and gave them enough gold to buy his services and to silence. The men got together a single ship with 30 of their best warriors and sailed off after the giants. Like last time, on the way, they stopped off at a farmer's house. Bossy made eyes at the daughter. They had an innuendo-filled night. Then, after, they laid there talking. The story doesn't even try to explain why she was so well-informed. But she told Bossy that the brothers who re-kidnapped their sister were now trying to marry her off against her will. And unbeknownst to them, they were trying to marry her off to Sigir, son of King Herrick, the guy who's evil witch mother Bossy and Herrick had killed. Thing is, they knew that Bossy and Herod were coming. King Herrick did. They were ready. Spies at every road and two watchmen at every door. There was no way into the marriage bedroom. You mean marriage ceremony, right? Bossy asked. The daughter said no. They wanted to make sure everything went off without a hitch. So a platform had been built in the middle of the great hall with a bed on it. The whole wedding audience was going to, you know, confirm things went according to plan. Bossy grimaced. Yikes. All right. Uh, she seemed to know a conveniently large amount about the inner workings of this king's household. Who was the king's favorite retainer? And where would he be at this time? She said that his name was Sigurd. Not Sigir, the prince that Clyde was being forced to marry, but Sigurd, like a lot of other characters in this podcast. Sorry, the names are confusing on this one. And Sigurd wasn't far from here. He was spending time with his concubine. Bossy kissed her and got out of bed. He had to go. He woke Herod, who looked at the farmer's daughter and grimaced. Seriously, they were doing this bit again? All right, whatever. Let's go say hi to Mr. Sigurd. Mr. Sigurd, you're here, the guard at the door to the wedding said to the man who was definitely Mr. Sigurd, and not Bossy, wearing Mr. Sigurd's face, after the two heroes surprised, stabbed, and skinned him so that they could get into the party. Mr. Sigurd was also attended by a servant. Are you sure you're feeling well? You look sick. Is, oh my gosh, is that a cut on your neck? Bossy fluffed the beard, but not his beard, to cover up the chin. Yeah, he got it getting into a fight with a troll. Oh no, is that Odin shoving a sword into a tree? The guard turned, and Bossy adjusted the strap holding the face on his face, and the guard turned back. Bossy said that he was mistaken, 
It was just something less dangerous than Odin at a wedding. Could have been anything. Mr. Sigurd was rushed downstairs. As one of the king's most trusted retainers, he was in charge of this whole thing. Mbasi smiled, that smile not really coming through because he was wearing another guy's skin on his face. He had an idea. So, Bossy's grand plan was to just make this a really fun party. He tripled the amount of wine each guest was supposed to get in their glass, and then he hid while he took off his face, tossing it out the window and into the sea. He told the harp player to go find something else to do. He would take it from here. I didn't even know Bossy could play the harp, but as soon as he started up with a song, the people couldn't help but move. I mean, tripling their wine probably helped with that. But by the end of his second song, everyone in the hall, except for the prince and his betrothed, was out there on the dance floor. They did their toasts to Thor, Odin, and Freya, and by the third song, even the bride and groom got up to start dancing. Amid the wine and merriment, they lost track of each other on the dance floor. And Clyde felt a hand enclose around hers, and a whisper in her ear. She looked to the harpist and smiled. Just then, the hall looked to the yelling at the door. Prince Sigir, prepare to die. Everyone was enjoying glasses number two and three of the larger wine offerings, so they just kind of stood around while the assassin that Bossy and Herod hired rushed the prince. The assassin raised his dagger, but it was stopped by a sword. Bossy stood over the prince. He had stopped the dagger at the last possible moment. The party exploded in chaos as people were running this way and that. The assassin, blocked from his quarry, was fighting off Bossy. But Bossy was winning. Blow by blow, step by step, Bossy pushed him backwards until the Viking planted his foot in the assassin's chest and sent him sprawling out the window and down the cliff into the ocean. The prince ran up to Bossy, saying that he was eternally grateful. The harpist had saved his life. But Bossy revealed his own ribs. At what cost? Bossy was bleeding. He said he had magicians and healers and stuff, but he had to get to a ship. Someone, grab his harp. His servant dragged the harp case alongside them, propping Bossy up as the man limped to a ship. The prince thanked Odin that he was alive and prayed for the man who had saved them. He looked down at the sea, telling his men to fish the assassin out and make him talk. Then he squinted. Wait, maybe he hit the rocks because what was that down there? It was a harp? But that didn't make sense. The harpist's servant had dragged the case alongside him. <gasps> Prince Sigir gasped. Wait, where was his bride? Bossy and the servant heard the shouts from up on the cliff. Bossy ditched the wineskin full of blood from inside his cloak and picked up the harp case. Well, jigs up. They made it a lot farther than he thought they would. Both he and his servant took off in a sprint for the boats. At the boats, Herod had just finished scuttling the rest of the fleet and pulling the assassin from the water. He helped Bossy get the harp case aboard and unlooped the ropes as the king's men, all five of them that could control themselves after Bossy's over-serving, scrambled down the hill. Herod unclasped the harp case, and Clyde flew to the arms of her chosen husband. Together, from a distance, they watched a bunch of drunk Vikings fumble to get their ships on the sea. 
only to sink before they even left the harbor. Of course, there was a battle. A war. A big one. King Herrick, the father of the groom, brought the fight to Sweden with 40 ships. Herod, being in command of his own kingdom now, met the challenge. But he wasn't expecting the dragon. King Herrick was as magical as he was angry. And rightfully so, because on the way home, Bossy had stopped by Herrick's kingdom and picked up his daughter, marrying her. King Herrick transformed first into a dragon, then a large bird, and finally, landing on the beach, turned into a 20-foot-tall boar who rampaged through the defending warriors, heading straight for the recently rebuilt kingdom. That would have been the end of Herod and Bossy, if not for the dog. Bounding from the city, a dog big enough to match the boar stood blocking the pig. The boar squealed, lowered his head, and charged. And the dog stepped aside, waited for the boar to pass, and then grabbed the boar by the groin. Squealing much louder now, the dog dragged the boar to the ocean, where, jumping in, she took King Herrick down with her. They would later learn, after King Herrick's armies broke and fled, that the giant dog was Bossy's foster mother, Busla, using her magic one last time to come and save the young man that she loved like a son. Even though it was a hard-won victory, it was a victory. And the new King Herod gave everything he could to heal his kingdom. And all were invited to the weddings of he and Hyde, and Bossy and Etta, Herod's daughter. The foster brothers parted ways, Herod staying home, while Bossy traveled to Permia with a small force, arguing successfully because he had a bunch of Vikings ready to raid the place, that because he was married to the king's daughter, and the king and his son were dead in the battle that they had just gone on, that Bossy himself was the rightful legal heir to the kingdom, leaving out that his mom killed the king, necessitating the need for an heir. Back in Sweden, Herod and Hlyde had a daughter named Thora, who one day, when she was playing outside, just outside of the castle, found a pet. It was uh, something between a snake and a snail, but it was made out of solid gold now. The father looked it over. Yeah, it was a snake and appeared to be moving. Oh, sure, she could keep it. It probably wouldn't grow up to threaten their entire kingdom. So, Thora Townhart got a pet snake, and they all lived happily ever after for about five years. If the name Thora Townhart sounds familiar, either you've been a longtime fan or you've binged the back catalog, because Thora made another appearance on this podcast as the love interest of Ragnar Harry Pants, Ragnar Lothbrook, because, yeah, the snake that arrived in the vulture's egg was the very same snake that would turn into a dragon that Ragnar would don those famously hairy pants to fight and become the son-in-law of King Herod. That's it for the story today. Next week, we're back in Robin Hood. I've mapped out the rest of the Robin Hood stories, so hopefully we'll have them finished before the year is out. Next week, though, we'll see why 
with everything going right for Robin and his merry men, they are broke again. As always, if you'd like to support the show, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a personal fondue mug, a mug with a candle at the bottom, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that actually you should get with the fondue mug. 50-plus member episodes and ad-free shows probably would be even better with bread and melted cheese or chocolate. Check out the membership at support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the tea kettler, a fearsome critter from North America. If you're in the dark forest and you hear a tea kettle whistling, there are a lot of ways that it could go wrong. It could be an actual tea kettle put on the stove by a witch who's just killing some time before she attacks you and eats you for dinner. Standard dark forest stuff. It could be a monster trying to confuse you and lure you deeper into the woods. Or it could be the tea kettler. Of all those, I would hope it's the tea kettler because the tea kettler is, quote, a dog with cat ears, or, you know, triangular dog ears, because dogs have those too. And its whistle is a way of telling you to back off. It's like a dog with its head on the wrong side, because it's so wary of predators and being seen, all of its legs are turned around, and it has steam coming out of its mouth. So yeah, like a rattlesnake that can turn you into Two-Face from Batman, the steam is a warning to back off just kind of be aware of the situation that you're getting yourself into. If you happen to come across a dog that can shoot steam out of its mouth, and all it wants to do is escape, so much so that its legs are backwards, let it escape. Please, if someone finds it, they should take their pictures or whatever and get out of there. They're scaring it. And if they're into cornering and scaring animals, well, they shouldn't get upset when the tea kettler decides to let off some steam right in their face. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>